Hello everybody. This is our fourth sermon looking at the mission of Jesus. Today we're in Matthew chapter 9 verses 9 to 17 and the title of this sermon is A New Approach to God. Throughout the period of the pandemic we have learnt many lessons. Lessons about ourselves, lessons about society, lessons about faith. One of them has been the power and importance of hospitality. During the lockdown, we were unable to enter other people's homes. We could not go and share coffee with friends and neighbours. We could not have family round for a meal. These were seemingly small things that we took for granted before the pandemic began, but once they were taken away from us, we soon realised how much we missed them. At the church meeting this week, many of you said how much you had missed just spending time with other members of our church family. You wanted us to plan opportunities for reconnection in the days ahead. As we started coming out of lockdown, we then saw the power of hospitality again. There was a stage when we could only have a very small number of people into our homes at once. Consequently, if we were invited round, either for coffee or a meal, we felt privileged and valued. We'd been chosen specially by that person, elevated above others. Emily and I were very fortunate to be invited to Andrew and Anna's wedding. It meant so much to us because we knew their numbers were very restricted. On that day, we were greatly encouraged just by being asked. Hospitality is then very important. It tells people invited that they have worth and value. The person laying on the meal is interested in their conversation, cares about their needs and wants to spend time in their presence. Essentially, hospitality communicates love and that is why we should all practice it at times. If we take the time to think about this, I'm sure we have all enjoyed being invited out at some point in our lives and we should try to return the blessing where we can. This is particularly true of churches. If you speak to Emily and get her to share her testimony with you, she will tell you that the hospitality of a church in Leicester played a huge part in her coming to faith. Emily came from a difficult background, a strained family home. So when she went to a church event and saw a church family eating and talking and sharing life together, she saw something immensely attractive. She saw the family that she didn't have and wanted to know what enabled it. As a result, she found God. Hospitality is then a very powerful tool for the church to communicate the welcoming embrace of God, the God who longs to heal, forgive and restore. Now we may have only just learnt this lesson in lockdown, but actually this is nothing new. In our reading today we're going to see this power of hospitality at work 2,000 years ago. And as we witness a broken life completely transformed by it, we'll be encouraged to start demonstrating the same mercy and joy. Our reading began in verse 9 with the appearance of Matthew, a notorious tax collector. 
Back then, as their empire began stretching over vast areas, the Romans employed local people to collect their taxes for them. It was a clever tactic, because these locals would know the surrounding area and the people living in it. They would know if anybody was avoiding paying their dues. Tax collectors were required to collect a certain amount from each person for Rome, and were then allowed to collect whatever commission they could on top to make their own living. It goes without saying that these charges took a heavy toll on the poor people of rural Galilee. Consequently, tax collectors were utterly despised by their local communities. They were traitors, collaborators with the enemy. They were greedy and self-seeking. They were seen as the scum of the earth. Now, our reading doesn't waste too much time explaining all this. Rather, it wants to rush on to something important. This Matthew has come to hear about Jesus. We presume this happened by Jesus teaching and performing miracles in the local area. Maybe Matthew had spent time on the edge of the crowd watching and listening. Regardless of how it happened, on the day Jesus walked up to his tax collecting booth, Matthew was ready to respond. Jesus simply invited Matthew to follow him and verse 9 tells us that he immediately got up and went. Now we need to understand what a huge move this was by Matthew. In this moment he is giving up a lucrative income and he's giving it up for good. Unlike the fishermen who could have just returned to their nets at any point had following Jesus not worked out for them, Matthew would never be able to return to his job. Rome would not have him back once he had let them down. Neither would anyone else in the village offer an ex-tax collector employment. Matthew is making a huge call here. From an outsider's point of view, he's making himself very vulnerable. I don't know about you, but for me, this all goes to beg the question, why? Why would this man give up everything and put himself at such risk? Well, again, the text does not say exactly, but I think it must boil down to something very simple. Kindness. Think about it. Matthew is hated by every single person he meets. He is treated like dirt. Some would argue rightly so. But can you imagine what that does to a person's sense of self-esteem as time goes on? Matthew must have almost despised himself at times. Yet suddenly here is Jesus, this stranger in town who's saying some incredible things about change and backing it up with some powerful miracles. And this Jesus has time for Matthew. He's interested in Matthew. He wants to invite Matthew into his company. Matthew would not have received kindness like this in a very long time and it must have been very powerful. So powerful, he was prepared to give up all his worldly goods in response to the man who offered it. Verse 10 then goes on to tell us that on choosing to follow Jesus, Matthew arranges a banquet for him and his disciples at his home. Again, this act shows us just how wholeheartedly he's going to commit to his new master. Matthew was known by all as a money grabber, but here is he extravagantly giving it away. He also invites other tax collectors and sinners, presumably his former colleagues, to join in the banquet. 
because he wants them to get to know Jesus too. In just two verses then, we are left in no doubt as to how dramatic a turnaround has taken place in Matthew's life. Was it miraculous? Well, yes, in a way it was. What we are witnessing here is the miraculous power of kindness and hospitality, and it is a power on offer to us all. Sadly, though, not everyone there that day was delighted by this transformation in Matthew's life. In fact, the Pharisees completely missed the relevance of the change that has taken place and instead set about condemning Jesus for attending a meal in a tax collector's house. In the ancient world, table fellowship was seen as a very important social convention. What I mean by that is that the simple matter of who you ate your meals with defined who you were and the values in life that you condoned. Here was Jesus being seen to eat with unclean, sinful people. People who seemingly ignored God's will, broke the Jewish law and acted treacherously against God's people. In the Pharisees' eyes, by eating with them, Jesus was condoning their behaviour. In their minds, the godly thing to do was to do the opposite. Not to give and receive hospitality, but to quarantine yourself away from unclean people like this. So they could not infect you with their sin. So suddenly, faced by this very public challenge from the Pharisees, Jesus knew he now had to clarify who he was and what his mission entailed. Let us listen to what he says, verses 11 and 12. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. In response, Jesus uses the metaphor of being a doctor. And we, as modern day Christians, have never been in a better position to understand what he means. Every single day during this pandemic, doctors on the front line have put themselves at risk. We've seen pictures of them covered head to toe in PPE as they have gone to help those infected by the virus. Sadly, many doctors have got sick themselves. Some have even died laying down their lives for others. Doctors know that there is no point in them separating themselves off from the ill. They cannot do their job from behind closed doors. At some point, they have to enter the quarantined area and bring their skills of healing to it. Otherwise, they're just condemning the suffering to death. Here, Jesus is saying exactly the same. He has come to heal the sick, those that cannot heal themselves. He has come to save life, even if that means laying down his own. Of course, on the cross... Jesus wore no PPE. Jesus goes on to say to the Pharisees that he came to earth to show mercy, not to demand rigorous observance to all the nitpicking minutiae of their laws. He's not come to avoid sinners, but to save them. Now, we need to be a little careful here. This does not mean that Jesus has lower standards than the Pharisees. Far from it. He just has a completely different approach in how to go about transforming someone's life. 
Matthew's life was changed beyond all recognition, not because he was ostracized and quarantined, not because he was hammered by rules, but because he was shown kindness and hospitality. There is so much we need to learn from this as Christians today, particularly as the society we live in moves further and further away from gospel values. We're never going to bring people to God by just condemning them. Instead, we need to learn to be slow to judge or demand lifestyle changes from people whose backgrounds are very different to our own. Like Jesus did with Matthew, we're to show kindness and hospitality. We're to offer mercy and welcome and allow God's Holy Spirit to do the rest. For over time, God will change us all from the inside out. Now, we have just said that Jesus was offering a whole new approach to life and faith. In fact, a whole new approach to God. From now on, people would get to God through him, not by following all the rules. This was always going to be challenging and controversial. As a result, as our reading continues, we discover that it was not just the Pharisees who were struggling with what Jesus was doing, but the disciples of Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist, were struggling as well. In verse 14 of the passage, these disciples of John came up to Jesus and asked him a question about fasting. They just could not understand why they were fasting regularly and Jesus was out feasting with sinners. Now, to understand this question, we need to know a little bit about fasting in the first century. In the Old Testament, fasting was only prescribed for one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. By fasting for that day, it helped the people to realise just how serious their need of forgiveness was. They were to be hungry for it. They were to realise that they could not go on living without it. But since the early days of Moses, many additional fasts had been added to the Jewish calendar for all sorts of good reasons. These extra fasts were always about more than simply abstaining from food. They fasted to prepare for special events. They fasted in periods of mourning. They fasted in times of national crisis. They fasted to commemorate tragic events like the destruction of the temple. On these occasions, fasting helped to cultivate an appropriate humility, an urgency of prayer, a hunger for God to act. As we've just said, these fasts were not prescribed by God, but they were traditions that humans had designed to try and help people apply biblical principles to their everyday lives. Of course, as a result, sometimes the fasting was done well and was helpful. At other times, it was not. Sadly, fasting became a legalistic marker of who was truly pious and who was not Some people fasted just to look good and gain attention. Sometimes the tradition just took up so much attention, it became more important than scripture itself. This then was the context of the situation that Jesus was asked to speak into. And now that we know it, we can see the brilliance of his reply. The Jews believed that fasting was designed to generate a hunger for God to come and act on their behalf. Well, hello, in Jesus, God had come to act on their behalf. 
Now was not the time to fast. Now was the time to take it all in. Jesus goes on to give three little pictures to explain. First of all, he says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. In other words, Jesus says, you do not behave the same way at a wedding and a funeral. With Jesus present, now is not the time to mourn and lament. Now is the time to feast and celebrate. Jesus describes himself here as the bridegroom of God's people, which is a deliberate fulfilment of prophecies from Isaiah and Hosea. Yes, someday soon Jesus will be taken and killed. A funeral will take place. Then mourning will be legitimate for a brief time. But while Jesus is alive and amongst his people, the appropriate response is joy. Oh, how as Christians we need to learn this. Yes, it may be appropriate times in our lives to fast and earnestly seek God, but overwhelmingly our default position is to be joy. After mourning, after questioning, after seeking through the night, we are to come back again and again to a place of joy. Christ is alive. Christ has risen from the dead after forgiving our sins. Christ is alive in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. Come on, people. Rejoice. In a time of pandemic, joy is just as infectious as this virus is. Joy stands out in a crowd. It is utterly attractive. If we as Christians can learn to live joyfully in the world, people will take notice and want some of it for themselves. So that is the first picture Jesus uses, the picture of a wedding over a funeral. The second two pictures combine to give the same message. Jesus makes the point again that he has not come to shore up the old traditions of the Jews. Rather, in fulfilling the Jewish law, he's come to offer an entirely new approach to God. Jesus said, you cannot put a new patch on an old garment. It will shrink in the wash and make the hole even worse. You cannot put new wine into old wineskins because new wine ferments and expands and that would cause the old brittle skins to burst. No new wine requires new wineskins. In other words, Jesus is saying that the old traditions, such as quarantining sinners and sombre fasting, are simply inadequate to hold the new life available in the kingdom of God. From now on, new practices are required. What are these practices? Well, we're going to have to read on. And in some respects, work them out for ourselves. But already from this short passage, we have a few hints. Living the kingdom will involve offering hospitality to sinners. Living the kingdom will involve joyous celebration. Living the kingdom will involve spreading the gospel in new and creative ways. As Christians today, we must ensure that we're still allowing God to lead us into new ministry and new forms of creativity rather than reverting back into old habits and doing church as we've always done it. It's always easier to do that, but in changing times, it rarely works. This brings us to the end of our passage. 
So let's conclude our thinking by asking the three questions that we're focusing on in our current series. Who is Jesus? He is the doctor of humanity, the bridegroom of God's people, the sinner's saviour. What is his mission? To show mercy, transforming people through kindness and to bring joy to the hearts of the downtrodden. And how are we to respond? Well, as Christians, we're to show hospitality rather than judgment. Let's all be thinking about who we can reach out to and offer a welcome or invitation to this week. We're to be seen by the Isla community as joyful people, known for the way we celebrate life rather than condemn. And appropriately for this season, we as a church are to seek out the new things that God is doing in his world by the Holy Spirit and seek to join in with them. Jesus came to offer a new approach to God. Will we take it up?